Today's podcast is sponsored by the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals and the Extraordinary Give, Friday, November 19th. Hear more at the conclusion of the podcast. This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. If we hitch our wagon to a minister who then disappoints us or abandons the faith, is there a danger or a temptation toward a Donatist mentality in us now? Hello and welcome to Theology on the Go. I'm Jonathan Master, joined as always by my co-host and friend, James Dalzell. James, how are you? I'm doing well. This is a, an exciting interview for us. We used to do these together face-to-face, and then for, for a long time at WFIL uh, in Philadelphia is where we recorded. And then uh, we got flung to far ends of the earth, uh, but for a week, we're flung back together. So we're doing these we're doing uh, the next few weeks of interviews uh, and discussions face-to-face, again, like it used to be in the olden days. I'm not sure that even matters to our listeners at all, um, but it does to us. Exactly. I'm not sure it matters at all to them, but it matters to us. We are broadcasting from the West Coast, and uh, and it's, it's always good to be with you. So today, we're going to discuss a historical event, a series of events, historical um, debate that took place in the history of the church that I think has ongoing relevance today. And the the discussion is about what what's called the Donatist controversy. So, uh, James, why don't you and, lead off? This well, was your idea. I, this so. is my idea, but my idea is is to draw it out of you. Uh, <laughs> okay. And so I'll I'll take the lead on some of that. And uh, you're a professor of historical theology, church history, and so in your church history class, you cover the Donatist controversy. And I just wondered if you could give our readers a little bit of a background on. What is the controversy? What's the context in which it arises? Um, how does it get its name? Uh, and then sort of what were the flashpoint issues and why was there a controversy that sort of unfolded? And then I may jump in and kind of push, push you a little bit as you, as you uh, give a short version of that. Okay, here's the short version. The short version is there was a period of intense persecution uh, of the Christian church that was legally authorized by the the Roman emperor. And um, Diocletian is the name of that emperor. So Uh, late third century. So this is this. Yeah, right. This is the end of the 200s, beginning of the 300s. Really, really the beginning of the 300s is where it comes in earnest and where the legal, uh, the, the laws are actually passed in 303, 304. So what this means then is that Christians are under, um, as I said, intense persecution in some areas of the Roman Empire. And and some Christian leaders, some bishops and pastors and others, um, during that period of intense persecution, uh, some leave. Some leave whatever city they were ministering in and try to escape, head for the hills and find some kind of security. Uh, some even do something worse than that. They, they, they give in and they, at least at, in some measure, pull back from their Christian 
So what is giving in? What does giving in look like? Well, it depended, but um, the the orders, the the legal orders, eventually stated that uh, Christian, all Christian ministers, and then even all citizens had to offer sacrifices to uh, pagan gods, and so. The, the, at, at, in the worst case scenario, it could have involved that kind of formal practice of idolatry. And so, hmm. so in any case, some, some uh, there are a variety of responses and, and the pressure is greater in some areas than in others. But when the dust settles and Constantine becomes the new Roman emperor. Second decade of the fourth century. That's right. So when, when this happens... There, there's been this eight to ten year period of persecution, and and these Christians, some of whom had fled, come back, and in some cases, attempt to reassume their positions of authority. So, if your pastor headed for the hills, he may then come back, and 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 had other pastors to, taken those roles in the interim, or what? In They're some pa- cases, they had, and this is this is really the crux of the of the issue. Um. There are there are particular regions in which others had taken those positions of spiritual authority, and the question was uh, when the uh, those who had left during persecution returned, who's really in charge? Who's the real? Who's the real bishop of our city? Who's the real authentic Christian pastor in our town? Who decided? In term, just briefly, who decided that was that? You know, was that a congregational vote, or was there a was there a sort of a, a college of of bishops or presbyters that would recognize that? I mean, who's who's going to decide whether they're recognized or not? Well, during the period of persecution, it, it's not entirely clear how these how each of these uh, new bishops, these what end up being called Donatist bishops or pastors are appointed. But in, in uh, the usual course of things, it would be other, uh, other presbyters who would be ordaining uh, men to this kind of leadership role. Uh, and so, so when they return, there are, there are certain places, and, and, and Donatism gets his name from a particular uh, bishop who had taken on this role during a time of intense persecution and, and had not capitulated and had not capitulated. And when the others returned, he essentially said that those were not real churches. And so if you're, if you're taking the Lord's supper in a non Donatist church, in other words, a church pastored by someone who perhaps had fled during the time of persecution, that wasn't real. That wasn't actually uh, a real participation in the Lord's Supper because you, your pastor wasn't a real pastor or something correct, like that. Correct, correct, that's right. Because these bishops or these pastors weren't uh, weren't real, weren't genuine, weren't authentic. Now, the way it plays out, there's a political way in which it plays out, and then there's a theological way in which it plays out. The political way is this: Constantine eventually he initially sides with the Donatists, but Constantine eventually sides with the non-Donatists. Um, and says, no, in fact, even ministers who fled could indeed still be genuine Christian ministers, and they hadn't lost that authority. Their churches were, were genuine churches, and, and he throws his weight and the weight, really, of the empire behind them. That's the political solution, and that's very messy, and, and, and again, he goes back, and Constantine goes back and forth. 
the theological solution really uh, is hammered out over a long period of time. And Augustine of Hippo is really the, the, the one who makes the strongest anti-Donatist argument because he says a number of things. First of all, he says, look, you're never going to have a fully pure church. And the Donatist idea that there is going to be this pure church with ministers who are who are uh, untainted by any kind of scandal is is a mirage. Moreover, he says the church is, is one. And so the Donatists have contributed to disunity. And, and most importantly, what he says is that the efficacy of the sacraments is not dependent upon the holiness of the one who is administering them. So in other words, even if it turned out that your pastor was, uh, was, a, 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 um, you know, a, a fell away in some fashion, uh, that didn't mean that the, his ministry within the church, particularly his sacramental ministry, was therefore invalid. Am I really baptized? Have I really partaken of the Lord's Supper and received the benefit of that communion? Is, are these the questions? Absolutely. And the Donatists would say no, because your pastor was one of these less faithful ones or perhaps one who didn't stand firm. And so they would have said, no, your baptism isn't legitimate. Your marriage maybe needs to be renewed or yes, renewed or something like that. And you're, and, and, and you're not really partaking of the Lord's supper and you haven't been, it's not a real church that you're a part of was essentially what they were saying. And Augustine uh, clarified, no, again, the efficacy of the sacraments is not dependent on the holiness of, of the minister. And I have to say there, there are many cases today in which this kind of thing comes up, even in our circles where someone will have a pastor who, is exposed as a fraud or who or who leaves the faith and they, or apost- yeah, apostatizes. Yeah, and they say and they and they ask the question, well, what about the faithful preaching I heard? I was converted under his ministry, or or uh, he was responsible for my baptism or my children's baptism. And what does that mean? And and so we return to Augustine to help us work through some of these issues. So what is so Augustine's going to say there's no there's no pure church this side of the church triumphant, um, and yet at the same time uh, anyone familiar with Augustine knows that he's not indifferent toward the piety of the minister or the importance of that. So he he doesn't want to throw away the importance of faithful ministers, but he needs to protect the ministration of the church from the minister of the church in some way, right? And there's got, to, there's got to be some way in which the benefit of the public ministry is decoupled from the integrity of the minister. That's right. And if, if our um, Christian discipleship in the ordinary means of grace was dependent upon being part of a totally pure church under a totally pure ministry, he, he sees the inherent unbiblical nature of that conception, but also the instability of that. So what, like, what sort of biblical warrant would he have for saying, like some bring up like tares and wheat? Yeah. How is that a, is that an argument to say Donatism is, is too idealistic this side of glory? That's, that's one of the arguments he would have used that in fact, in this world, there, there are going to be wheat, there is going to be wheat and tares and they're going to be mixed together. And that's not going to be sorted out entirely until the final judgment, which again is not to say we turn a blind eye to these things or we ignore holiness or anything like that, but simply we acknowledge the fact that the church is is going to have those elements in it. 
he also looked to biblical examples like the Apostle Peter, who hmm. uh, had a very public uh, failure and denial of Christ, and yet was not for that reason um, disqualified entirely from future usefulness in ministry. So back to the question of sac- sacraments and their efficacy, uh, because here's the question, have I really had the Lord's Supper? Am I really a baptized Christian? If we're saying it doesn't come down to the constancy or the moral fiber of the minister, um, then where is where do we locate the power uh, as means of grace of those sacraments? Well, the answer I would give to that question is different from the answer Augustine. So let's start with Augustine's answer, and then maybe you can flag concerns you might have with it and explain why you wouldn't give that exact same answer. Right. So Augustine's answer to that question is that since it doesn't lie in the in the holiness of the minister, it lies in the in the thing itself, in the sacrament itself. So uh, he he would say the reason why it's it's efficacious is because the 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 sacrament itself, the bread and wine of which you're partaking, is used by God in order to uh, fortify your your soul or and and grow you in your in your Christian life. So he would see it as uh, the sacrament itself contains that that power, if you will, or that efficacy. The answer that I would give, which is a, a, a different answer, is that. The sacraments are a, a part of, and in a sense, under the umbrella of the ministry of the word. We would refer to ministers as ministers of word and sacrament, and 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 the the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and of baptism are efficacious in as much as they are instruments of God's word, um, and and carry with it the. Uh, the the spirit empowerment of the word of God. So they need to be done under the ministry of the word of God in the context of the proclamation of the word of God and in the way that the word of God prescribes. And you're saying this without dialing back the fact that there's a peculiar function uh, in the sacraments, because you could almost imagine someone who's like virtually non-sacramental saying, well, then let's just read and preach the scriptures. And then that, that covers everything. So you're not trying to, you're not saying that there's nothing uh, peculiar as, as unique means, sensible signs uh, in, in these things, but that they don't um, stand kind of in a silo by themselves. Um, Is, is that what Augustine's doing in a sense? Is he, I mean, maybe it's got, it's more finesse than that, but is he not perhaps giving them uh, in the older language? I, you know, you and I both spent some time in church history. Ex opera operato, right. the the working of the work uh, or the right. working of that thing, as opposed to ex opera operantis, the working of the minister. Um, is there? A, are you mapping out sort of a a, a third place uh, where it's the working? It's, yes, the, there's a means of grace in the sacrament, but it, it's not decoupled from the word. Yes, I think that's exactly right. It has to be coupled with the word. And I would I would say that what uh, Augustine does is he has it on its own. As you said, it's it's the it's the thing itself, the action itself, the sacrament itself that is is the instrument. But right. I would say that a sacrament is um, something that is uh, that Christ works through under the ministry of um, 
uh, under the ministry of the word of God. I'll, I'll give you some language from the, um, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and I think it's helpful. It, the, the question is this, how do the sacraments become effectual means of salvation? The sacraments become effectual means of salvation, not by any virtue in them. That would be uh, somewhat of the Augustinian answer or in him that doth administer them. Okay, which is so what, not, not the Donatist and not, not, not unalloyed Augustinian. That's sorry. right. Okay. But only by the blessing of Christ and the working of his spirit in them that by faith receive them. So what he's, he this is under the ministry of the word uh, and it's through the ministry of the spirit and they are to be received by faith, which doesn't mean that the 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 efficacy lies in me per se. I was going to throw that out there as is it is there perhaps a danger when we say that that part of what part of what makes them efficacious to us is the reception and faith of what is being signified and sealed therein. But nevertheless, is there possibly a danger of kind of a donatism, but instead of relocating it from the faith, finding the ground in the faithfulness of the minister. Now you find the ground in, I don't want to say faith in some subjective state of your own. Is sure. That- yeah. I mean, right. But uh, you, you could say that, and you could say that too about the reception of the word that right. the word is, is uh, effective in that it's received by faith by those who hear it. But, but again, the, the actual, power as it will doesn't lie in you it's the holy spirit and and christ who who works these things in and through those who receive them in faith no that's good and i think that's a more i i sympathize with the augustinian desire to say uh no there's something about the ministry that is that has an efficacy in it that is greater than the minister um, and that God works through that God the God works to our good through through broken and failed means. And while that isn't an ideal, uh, and we certainly want to purge that out of the church as best we are able, that that doesn't undermine the ability of God to work through that because the the power lies in the Word, and in some respect in the in the sacrament um, under the Word and sort of in that in that order. Um, is that yeah, I mean it, it, it's it's not it's not incidental. Uh, I mean it's it's ordained by Christ. The the sacrament is ordained by Christ, so it's it's not it, it, it is in itself significant. It is the means by which Christ communicates these benefits to us. So in that sense, it's significant, but but not separated from any of those other promises or from the Word of God itself. So coming more into our own situation, maybe, maybe we could flag a, a potential danger or two nowadays. Um, I'm sure this isn't unlike the early church where we have, you know, sort of big, almost personality driven ministries and in a, in a personality driven ministry where the, the minister almost more than the ministry itself is sort of the centerpiece that's holding it all together. Are there, are there, are there potential dangers that we might have um, if we hitch our wagon to a minister who then disappoints us or abandons the faith or in some other way falls catastrophically, um, what, what, like, how do we sort that through? Is there a danger or a temptation toward a Donatist mentality in us now? Yeah, I think you see it all the time. So there, there are dangers on all sides. On the one hand, there can be a danger because we can start to believe that 
the only reason I'm growing and the only way I can grow is by uh, sitting under this particular man. This he and he alone is uniquely capable of uh, fostering my own spiritual growth. That's one way it can happen. So way, he falls and then you're devastated. That's right. Was I ever a Christian? And what that's is, right. That's right. Because right. the whole thing, the whole thing hinged, hinged on him. Um, and so that's that's one very significant danger. I think I think another uh, way that this can manifest itself, though, is in um, in, in beginning to to sort of focus in on the 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 minister himself apart from the word of God and and so whether it's one particular man or just the the, the minister himself uh, I think that can that can sort of have an implicitly Donatistic character to it and and that leads to all kinds of um, consequences and it can lead to even a spiritual insecurity on the part of those who who sit under that ministry. No, I think that's a fair point, and it's a good it's a good caution that though we don't share all of the um, exact same social circumstances as the original Donatist controversy, there is that perhaps proclivity in each of our hearts to allow too much of the ministry itself to depend for its power upon the particular man that happens to be serving the Lord in that capacity, uh, and that we need to have a primacy. A focus on the word and on the sacraments under the word um, as in their own way, uh, ministering uh, grace to us in subjection to the scriptures themselves. Yeah. And we have to remember, of course, that all of this points us to the fact that it is, it is God's work and God's grace in our lives that causes us to grow um, from beginning to end, although he does use means to accomplish that. And I mean, we and we can be grateful uh, for those ministers who do have a long record mm-hmm. of faithfulness, where they aren't just ministering the word, but they are also modeling uh, the word in their lives. And of course, that is our our desire uh, for our churches, for ourselves, uh, in those in those roles. Jonathan, thanks for uh, thanks for letting me push you a little bit on the Donatist controversy and sort of what it is and how it, how it even bears uh, on us today. My pleasure. Always, always a joy. As always, we want to thank you for listening to today's conversation. We love hearing from you. So if you have suggestions about topics you'd like us to take on, please feel free to write us. If you're able to donate to the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, you can do that at AllianceNet.org or PlaceForTruth.org. Both of those sites have a drop-down menu. And if you're interested in some of the topics we've been discussing, we'd like to offer you the chance to win a copy of The Lord's Supper by Thomas Watson. Watson is always useful, very readable Puritan, and this is a little Puritan paperback from our friends at Banner of Truth. So if you go to PlaceForTruth.org, click on the Theology on the Go link, there'll be a and a place for you to enter your information for the possibility of winning this copy of The Lord's Supper by Thomas Watson. As always, we want to thank you for joining us for this conversation, for recommending this podcast to others. Thank you for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. 
On Friday, November 19th, the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals is participating in the Lancaster County, PA Community Foundation's Extraordinary Give. For 24 hours only, all gifts received through extragive.org will be stretched by the Foundation's sponsors. It's a great way to support the ministry and have a little extra added to your gift. When you support the Alliance, you make a global impact, sharing the gospel as you encourage and equip the church around the world through reformed events, publishing, broadcasts, and podcasts. Now more than ever, people everywhere need the hope found in the life-changing message of the gospel, and your support makes it all happen. Through the years, listeners like you have helped make the Extra Give a success, and the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals has grown with your support. Please prayerfully consider making a special gift on November 19th. Visit AllianceNet.org slash Extra Give for more information. That's AllianceNet.org slash Extra Give.